0: Good morning again. Welcome to the Grove. If this is your first time, or maybe your first time in a while, if you're here this morning as a guest or a friend brought you, we are really glad that you are with us today. We're in week two of a sermon series called Dedicated. And what we're talking about in this series is really just an acknowledgement of the world that we live in. And this world is a world that's filled with unending and infinite. Uh, choices. We have all sorts of choices all around us about what we can buy, who we can be, where we can work, where we can live, who we can spend our time with. We have a never-ending amount of choices. And we talked last week about how there's actually a lot of value that comes from having almost endless choice. It allows us the opportunity to explore and experience, and it kind of provides a sense of novelty and optionality in our life that really, as we're starting to form and understand who we are in the world, particularly in that kind of ever-increasing adolescent age, it gives us this chance to really understand ourselves, define ourselves, but if we stay in that place of, you know, leaning into the ever-ending options, eventually there's like a downside to all of the choices that we have before us. It's nice to be able to kind of pick from any restaurant that you want to eat at and have it show up at your house or to watch any show or movie that's ever been created. But there are other parts to all of these choices that start to have an effect on us. It leads us to this place of shallow living, of superficiality, of not feeling connected or grounded to a group of people or a sense of community. And we end up kind of Losing the ability to make commitments. And really, commitments are a depreciating skill set. And so unless we practice them, unless we exert those muscles about how to hold on to the most important commitments in our lives, we'll continue to get pulled by the gravitational force of this kind of infinite amount of choice. And so we're really, over the next couple weeks, talking about the virtue of commitment. Because in our world, as we have seen, It is not held as a virtue anymore. We live in this place, you know, where people get ghosted, right? We've all been ghosted probably by a friend or a potential romantic partner or a business opportunity where there was something, there's some tension in the line and you got a little interested and excited then the next thing you know, radio silence. And you're like, what happened? It felt like we had kind of a verbal agreement that we were either going to spend more time together or this business thing was going to manifest or whatever it may be, right? Some of you as employers, you recognize that there's this weird thing that's happening where nobody seems to want to commit to long-term jobs. They just keep switching from job to job to job. And sometimes the way that they do it is through what's called quiet quitting. There's this new quiet quitting epidemic where people just fade into the background, right? We have this place where we are becoming increasingly more superficial and flaky and we're not able to hold to anything. And ultimately this manifests kind of on a deep soul level because the things that we should be holding on to most that provide anchoring and foundation and stability in our lives we just we go church shopping and we hop from church to church to church and we try this for a little bit and then we try that for a little bit and oh, I read my bible for 2 days and then I got bored because We use like level of interest and engagement and like novelty as our measurement of whether or not we should continue to pursue something, which is this really kind of like self-fulfilling prophecy because anything that you stay with for any period of time eventually stops being novel by the very definition of what it means to be novel. And so if we're always looking for that next hit of dopamine, then the really important things are never going to get our attention, particularly our faith. And so... In this sermon series, we're really attempting to try to examine, one, how we got here, which we talked about last week, but two, where do we go from here? You know, you can't change something that you can't name. And so it's important that we name that left to kind of our own devices and the force of the world that we live in, we're never going to be deep and grounded people who hold fast to their commitments because it is just not in vogue anymore. And so today we're gonna we're gonna talk about actually how we do that and what that looks like. Because as we have discussed and will continue to discuss, the ability to hold fast to something is hard for us. We start to look around and get more interested or excited about other options or just the the limitations of the commitments that we make and the ways that they seem to restrict our lives. that feels like such a drag. And we're like, well, it's more fun to be footloose and fancy free. And so we kind of lean back into the place of choice and optionality. And to kind of demonstrate this, um, I'm going to use a little illustration here. So for the last 50 years, and I think it's no coincidence that this has happened over the last 50 years, in the same way that we have seen the eroding of our ability to hold fast to commitments, we have also seen a decrease in the overall grip strength of the average adult and individual. Now, for some of you, you don't care about that, but this is the weird stuff that I'm interested in. And so I have been reading about how grip strength is one of the best indicators of overall health and physical fitness. In fact, it's actually a predictor of future mortality and morbidity because it is um, holistically representative of the physical fitness and strength of an individual. Now, what has happened, though, is over the last five, six decades, our ability and our grip strength has decreased almost by a factor of like 25%. So we have 25% less grip strength now today, the average individual does, than we did 50 or 60 years ago. And this is the, the definition of grip strength that I wanna show you. It's how firmly and securely you can hold on to things combined with how heavy they are. How firmly and securely you can hold on to things combined by how heavy they are so if you could hold a one pound weight for an hour it doesn't really correlate to grip strength why yes you've been able to hold something firmly and securely but it's not that heavy it doesn't take much effort to hold on to something that weighs a pound additionally you could try to pick something up and it slipped through your hands and so while the the weight that you were trying to lift was particularly heavy You didn't hold it firmly or securely. And so that doesn't correlate to grip strength. What you do is you have to have both parts together. And I know most of you are just like, hurry up and get with the definition. We want to see you pick up the weight and hold the weight and talk about it. Right? Okay, so here we go. So it's how firmly and securely you can hold on to something plus how heavy this thing is. So if you're wondering, this weighs about 70 pounds. So uh, I will not be holding it for the remainder of the sermon case you're curious about that and yes if you'd like to come try later you can come hold this but when you translate grip strength into our ability to hold and to make commitments is my face right yet i'm gonna have shortness of breath here in a second we have medics standing by right okay good but as you translate the same idea think about what it means to make a commitment how firmly and securely can you hold on to something Plus, how heavy is it? And so for some of us, we have lots of very shallow commitments because we don't allow them to weigh much or we don't hold on to them for very long or very securely. But what really matters is our ability to hold on to the heaviest commitments in our life as securely and as firmly as possible. This is what we're after. This is what it means to be someone who is dedicated, That's the name of the series. To be committed to something bigger and outside of yourself. To pick up something heavy and to hold on to it. Even though it's hard. And even though it's tiring. Now here's what happens when you start to make these commitments. Or when you pick up something heavy like this kettlebell. There is immediately a drain on your physical energy. You know this. You commit to having children, and it's a drain on your physical energy, right? It's also a drain on your resources, your time resources, your financial resources, your social, relational resources. But it's of such significance that it's worth it that you make the the trade and the sacrifice. But additionally, not only is it a drain on your energy and resources, it creates limitation. If there was a fire all of a sudden this morning, I'm gonna have to let this go to quickly move out of this building. I can't move that fast holding this kettlebell. The same is true of our lives. When we make firm commitments of any significance, it brings about with it restriction upon us. And this is kind of the tension that we find ourselves in in our current world, is we don't like those restrictions. We don't like to be told no. We want to be able to revoke any choice or decision that we've made to be able to trade it in for a bigger, better one, right? It's like, oh, well, I know we RSVP'd to that event or that party or that wedding, but we have this opportunity to go with some friends out of town to do this thing, and then we revoke it, right? 50 years ago, that was socially unacceptable. You made a commitment. You hold fast to it. But today, come on. Anybody who's gotten married or has been involved with someone who's getting married know that RSVPs don't mean a whole lot. It's like they may or may not RSVP, and if they do, it may or may not correlate to whether or not they're actually showing up. Because we don't, we don't like the commitments, and we don't like the restrictions that come with them. And so, in the same way, we have to like learn how to develop that skill set. Just like it takes time picking up heavier and heavier commitments and holding them for longer and longer, it takes time to pick up heavier weights and hold them for longer and longer. It is a skill set that we build and we develop that grows over time. You know this. If you've ever kind of worked with a therapist and you're kind of transitioning out of adolescence into adulthood, they say, first thing you should do is just buy a plant and keep the plant alive, right? And then once you have a plant, you can graduate to like a fish. And then after you've had a fish, you can move on to a dog or a cat if you're one of those people. No, I'm just kidding. I love all cat people. I have some dear cat people in my life. It's just low-hanging fruit. (laughs) But you pick another animal. And then it's like, okay, if you can keep a couple animals alive, maybe you're ready to graduate and have some kids. right? There's a, a progression that happens because you're building your ability to honor and keep those commitments. It's just like when you hire somebody for a job, right? You do not throw them into your biggest and most important scenarios until they have demonstrated their ability to be proficient in lesser scenarios and situations, right? We build these things over time. And so with the remaining time that we have this morning, we're going to talk about how you hold on to and how you build your commitments. And there's really kind of three phases and processes to it. So the first one is... One, you've got to figure out what the most important commitments are. You've got to prioritize. You've got to survey your seemingly endless opportunities and options of choices and potential commitments and identify, okay, what are like the most important ones in my life? Which ones have to be held most firmly, most securely? And which ones do I have to hold the longest? That will depend on the season and the stage that you're in, right? If you're newly married, it's your spouse and it's your relationship. If you have some kids, it's their well-being in addition to your marriage. If you're 15, it's your schoolwork. That's the sole focus, right? Yes, you have extracurricular activities, but like your most important commitment needs to be the heaviest thing in your life. And we don't always get that right, right? We invert that so many times. This is why we think it's important that you're here at church and involved in the life of the church. Because we think it should be the most important thing in your life. It's the foundation on which everything else is built. And this is where it gets tricky. Because priorities will not be set for you in accordance to the way that your priorities should be set. Because everyone knows if you have a parent, if you're a parent who has a kid involved in an activity... The people who run those activities believe that this activity is the single most important thing your kid could, could be doing with their time, right? If they miss practice, their life is gonna fall apart, right? There won't be a spot for them on the team. Now, some of that's a real reality dynamic, and that's a whole other conversation, and we should bring all those people in here and have a really stern talking to. You. But. Everyone else thinks what they're doing and the things that you could be involved in is the single most important thing. And so what it means is we have to decide for ourselves what's most important. This is why you see again and again and again throughout Scripture stories of people who are recommitting to making their faith the foundation of their life. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And so when you say that and you pick this up, it means that you're not going to be able to pick up other things because you're holding this. It doesn't mean that you have to say no to everything. It just means that you've already said your most important yes to your faith. Now, to caveat, for some of you who are feeling a little defensive right now because I'm kind of poking at you, this is not to say that all the other commitments in your life, all the other places and activities that you can be spending your time are bad. They're not bad. In fact, they're really good, some of them. They kind of aid your character development and your growth as an individual. And I don't think they should be the ultimate. They're good. They're just not the ultimate. Our faith should be. And that's what it means to have priorities, is to mean to put certain things first and above all the other things. The other thing that we have to do is we have to protect. We're going to go back a slide. Working through them. There we go. We have to protect our commitments. Because, again, no one else is going to honor your determination of your priorities because it's not shared. This is why being involved in faith communities and being involved in smaller groups within those faith communities is so essential. Because you are around like minded people who help you protect your commitments because they share the same commitments. Otherwise, we are all off on islands which is what makes sometimes making your faith, your priority, so hard because nobody else on the team is, which means you stand out or your kid's the only one. That means they get left out and all the other things that we don't want to happen. But sometimes that's what it means because we've said yes to these things and it means that we have to navigate the harsh realities of the no's that have to follow because we've already said certain yeses. And then the last is you just have to prevent the natural gravitational pull towards all of the other options, all of the other potential places that you can spend your time. Because guess what happens? Once you started to hold this for a while, you really start thinking about how nice it would be to set this down and to go pick up something else that doesn't weigh as much. People experience this all the time. You make a significant commitment to a person or to a career or to any type of endeavor, And after a while, there's that natural fatigue that sets in and you start identifying all of the other ways and people and places and things that in this kind of idealized version seem better than the commitments that you've already made. This is the temptation of like the grass is always greener on the other side. And then for most of us, what happens? You hop the fence and you realize that it's not that the grass is greenest where you water it. This is what it means. And so to finish our time, I just want to show you how this plays out in one particular story of the people of Israel. Now, some of you are familiar with the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah um, was an individual who was living in exile in Babylon. He and all of the other Israelites because Israel had been destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. And so they take all of the people out of Israel, the city of Jerusalem is destroyed, the walls are knocked down, and then after a period of time, Nehemiah decides that we should should rebuild the walls and we should rebuild the city. And so what Nehemiah does is he kind of petitions the king to let him and like a small remnant of Israelites go back to Jerusalem and kind of start to rebuild the city. And this is kind of what happens first as he begins to survey the rubble and the wreckage and he looks at everything that is in need of doing and he identifies the most important thing that he needs to do and that's to rebuild the walls because the way that those cities worked back then the walls were what provided kind of the insulation and the livelihood And the development of the city to happen. Because if you didn't have walls around your city, you could be attacked and destroyed from anybody who wanted. It was the way that you insulated yourself and created a foundation for the rest of the city to be built. Same is true of our lives and our faith. Like, we have to prioritize these things. This is what we see happening with Nehemiah in the second chapter. He looks at the people and he says, I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins. With its gates burned, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer disgrace. Of all the work that they could do, Nehemiah sounds the rally cry around rebuilding the walls because it is the most important commitment that they can make in that moment is to start with the walls. And so as you reflect on your life, are you holding your most important commitments the longest and the most securely? It's easy for us to get these things out of order or to kind of get pulled into holding other things more tightly and securely. And we're like, oh, it's a season. And then the season lasts nine years. And you're like, oh, I guess it wasn't a season, right? This is easy for this to happen. And so we have to constantly evaluate our priorities regarding our commitments and how securely we're holding them. And then after he kind of sounds this rally cry, he gets the people to commit to doing the important work of rebuilding the walls. And yet they say, let us start building. And so they committed themselves to the common good because they know if we can get these walls up, then everything else will fall into place after that. And again, unashamedly, I think your faith should be the priority and the commitment that you hold longest and firmest. It's the one that matters most because in 5 years or 25 years or 50 years, whenever something happens in life that you don't have answers for and you come see Allie or I, you're not going to draw upon your experience on that select team or all the hours you put in, you know, in that rehearsal or that practice. That's not what you're going to reach for to support you in times where you need it most. It won't be. And if that's all you've got, then we end up having lots of conversations. Because the thing that provides stability and foundation in your life when everything else fails is our faith. Then the next thing that we see happen in the story of the people of Israel is once they name their priorities and they start to rebuild the walls of the city. They start to be attacked from all sides and they have to begin to focus on protecting their commitments. And this happens in our own life, right? I don't believe in kind of the kind of an- anonymous like enemies that exist in the world, but there are things that don't want to see you be successful. There are people, places, powers, principalities that work against us holding our faith as our most important commitment. And they will try to criticize or kind of cause you to doubt why this matters or why this is important. It'll kind of cause you to feel isolated that you're the only one who's doing this and so there's no social proof for you and so you begin to doubt whether or not you should hold on to this commitment. And this is what happens to Nehemiah as they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He starts to have all of these other countries and all of these enemies show up. And they start to threaten them with violence and war. And so the response that Nehemiah has is this. They begin to work with weapons in hand. It says, from that day on, those who worked did so with one hand while they held the weapon in the other. We have to recognize that just because we make a priority and a commitment to make our faith our foundation, doesn't mean that everybody else honors that. I mean, I remember when I was a kid growing up playing sports, right? It was it was like this weird thing when practice was on a Wednesday night because that was kind of like the secondary church night, right? Well, nowadays, no one bats an eye to put it on Sunday morning. I know so many of our families who struggle with this tension and dynamic because, well, Sundays are just another day to have sports. And to the coaches and the people who run the leagues, those sports are the most important thing. And again, it's not that they're bad. They are not bad. I'm not not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying that they're not the ultimate. And so what Nehemiah and the Israelites did is they worked with a weapon in hand. They held on to their commitment, they continued the work, and they were ready in case anything tried to attack them because they knew they had to protect their commitments. And then the last is you have to prevent the natural temptation to get distracted, to be enticed or lured by novelty and just... Drop the commitments on your own. Again, same situation pattern happens with the story of the people of Israel Nehemiah. Once the threat of violence didn't work and they knew that the Israelites were going to protect their commitments. They're like, well, maybe we can distract them. And this happens to us, right? We get caught up in the busyness of all of the other commitments that we've said right? We've given out so many yeses that the easiest solution to navigate and to manage all of the other smaller, more insignificant commitments we've made is to what? Let go of the biggest commitment that we've made. It's like, well, you know, we said too many things this weekend. And so we, let's just, we'll just, we'll skip church. We'll watch it later. And then we'll do, right? We get caught up in all of the other things and we get distracted and so we let go of what we should be holding on to tightly, securely, and the longest. And so what the enemies of Israel do to, the, to Nehemiah and his team, and they say, listen, we'd like you to come meet with us, right? Meetings, the great distractor of any progress in the world. They're like, come meet with us, right? Come meet with us. Let's talk. We want to have a conversation. And many of you know kind of Nehemiah's response. He says to them, he says, no, I can't come down. I am doing a great work. And he stays on the wall. He says no to all of the other options because he knows that if he does that, he's going to have to let go of the most important commitment. And that's rebuilding the walls of Israel and Jerusalem. This takes time. It's an appreciating skill set, like I said before. But the more we pick this up and the more we hold on to it, the easier it gets to continue to hold on to it. And the benefit of holding our firmest and most important commitments isn't just look at us and we can hold this weight or this commitment for a long period of time. Because what happens is the more you pick up something heavy and hold it for a longer period of time, the more it begins to shape and to form and develop you so that you can continue to persist in holding that commitment. Our commitments are the single most significant thing that forms us. Our commitments form us. Wherever you have said yeses, those are the things that are shaping your life. Wherever you have given your yeses and committed to things, that's what's shaping you. That's what's forming you. This is why we think coming to church and being involved in the life of the church throughout the week matters. Because if we can have anything else shape and form our lives, we want it to be our faith. This is how the story of Nehemiah and the people of Israel goes they commit to the work they figure out what that needs to be done and they start to rebuild the walls they protect themselves from all of the enemies that surround them they work with a weapon in hand and then when violence doesn't work they begin uh, to ignore all of the distractions and they kind of prevent the attention drift that's so easy to occur and then they complete the work they finish the walls But the process of rebuilding the walls reminded the people of Israel just how important their faith was and just how significant it was to commit to God, not just to the work, but to God. And so the way that Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, ends is this group of people saying, we're going to reestablish all of God's commands and all of God's decrees, and we're all going to sign a document that says we are going to follow God and we are going to make our faith the most important thing in our life. And if you turn to the the back and the end of the book of Nehemiah, you'll just see a list of names because these are the people who signed the document that said we're committed to this because the work of rebuilding the walls formed them and shaped them and rebuilt their faith. And our commitments can do the same thing for us. And so the question isn't, Are your commitments forming you? The question is, which of your commitments are forming you? And it's the ones that you hold the longest and the most securely. And if I could pray anything for this community, it would be that that would be our faith. That God would empower us to reprioritize, to pick up our faith, to commit to holding it over everything else and to protect it at all costs. I'm going to pray that that would be so and then the band's going to come out and lead us in one last song. Gracious God, we come to you asking for your strength and your power to begin to work in us, to help us to reprioritize that which matters most, to pick it up, and to hold on to it with everything that we have, knowing that in doing that, the power of your Holy Spirit works in us, shapes us, forms us, and makes us more like your Son, and thus more capable of continuing to hold this commitment. And so God, it is not through our power, but through your power that we begin this work of recommitting ourselves to following you. We pray this in your name. Amen.